Hello, ahoy, and welcome back to the Here and Now podcast, where we talk about movies, TV shows, do reviews, give opinions, and so much more. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the 2022 movie, 2000 Mules. Oh yeah, we're going there. So stay tuned. Alright, now before I get into today's movie, I do need to provide a foreword. I understand there are some people who will be unhappy that I'm covering this movie. Uh, this is a political documentary and it pushes a certain political view that a lot of people don't like. And my take on this is quite simple. When I decided to do this podcast, I wanted to cover entertainment that was culturally relevant and on the minds of lots of people. Part of making a very relevant piece of work is that there will be people who like or dislike it. And if the work you've done relates to a topic that's already supercharged with uh, tension and polarization, such as politics, then the people who dislike it are going to really dislike it. To the point of not wanting anyone to talk about it, not wanting anyone to watch it or listen to it or read it or what have you, depending on the type of media in question. But my views on a movie are not going to be dictated through some kind of aggregate of the people who hate it versus the people who like it. I'm not going to back away from a movie that's very polarizing just because it is, in fact, polarizing. Uh, no, my thoughts on a movie are going to be formed on my own experience of watching it, and that's what I want to share with you. So, since I do have some thoughts about this movie, uh, this movie which a lot of people are talking about, I decided to do an episode about it just like I would for any other movie or TV show. With that in mind, let's get to talking about 2000 Mules. Now 2000 Mules is a movie, uh, really it's, it's more of a documentary, which presents the case of there being organized election fraud in the 2020 US presidential election. Uh, the movie was produced by Dinesh D'Souza. D'Souza is a right-wing commentator. He's a well-known conservative and a supporter of Donald Trump. Souza has made quite a few other productions over the last few years, and I will admit that I haven't watched any of his other feature-length works. But his podcast and his lectures and his debates have popped into my YouTube feed every now and then, so I have watched some of those. So I went in knowing who Dinesh D'Souza is, and understanding which direction he leans in, and therefore which direction 2000 Mules was probably going in. Now when I said this movie is very relevant, I wasn't kidding. The movie released a little over a week ago at the time of this recording, and it's already pulled over 10 million dollars in revenue, apparently. And I know what you're thinking, that's really tiny in Hollywood terms, but you have to remember this isn't a Hollywood production. Uh, 2000 Mules is an independent production. It was released through a really unusual strategy. It did have a limited thea uh, theatrical release, but they mainly use platforms like Salem Now and Rumble and Locals and a couple of other smaller streaming platforms. They also sold uh, physical DVDs, uh, believe it or not. It is also a political documentary, which automatically limits reach to a niche audience. So when you take all of these things into account, racking up $10 million in the first week is actually quite remarkable. Okay, so first we're going to talk about the movie itself, and then I'm going to tell you what I think about the view it presents, 
And lastly, I'll be discussing the critical response to the movie and the credibility of those responses. Mandatory spoiler warning, we're pretty much going to be giving away everything about this movie, so be aware of that if you haven't already seen it. Unfortunately, this is one of those movies where you're not going to be able to make much sense of my opinion unless you understand exactly what the movie entails. So yeah, just uh, keep that spoiler warning in mind. So the movie opens with D'Souza talking about the 2020 elections and the capital riots that happened shortly after. A lot of this is his personal opinions, so I don't see the need to really dissect any of it. Uh, it doesn't have any tangible link to the meat of the movie. The only thing I do want to comment on is D'Souza pointing out that the media closed ranks as soon as talk of election fraud began. Uh, they branded it the big steal, the big lie, and started trotting out the line that this was the most secure election in history. And this is what really got me interested in the topic, because uh, the media started denying it in lockstep, because that's how it works, right? If you're a cynic like me, when the entire legacy media starts denying something, that's when you start thinking, well, maybe there is something going on here. Um, I mean, logically, uh, if an election contains more mail-in ballots than any other in history, then you cannot make a reasonable claim that it was the most secure and free and fair election in history. One of the tenets of voting is that your vote is cast in complete confidence. The other four people you live with can vote in one way, and you can vote in the other. Uh, with ballots that are filled off-site, that entire principle no longer applies. There is no plausible way to ensure that every person's ballot was in fact filled in complete confidence. Anyway, from there, the scene moves to a roundtable discussion with a couple of prominent conservative activists and politicians and commentators. Uh, this discussion establishes how each of them feels about the uh, allegations of there being election fraud, which tipped the election in favor of Biden. I think the scene was a nice touch, but ultimately this also isn't directly relevant to the core of the documentary. Now onto the important stuff. D'Souza worked with an organization called True the Vote, and the movie very pointedly makes you aware that this organization has been around since long before the 2020 election, and they've also been involved in busting cases of Republicans committing election fraud. This is a good move, it establishes credibility, and you know that this isn't some activist group of die-hard Trump supporters who popped up overnight to allege election fraud after their guy lost. Now, I'm not saying a group like that would automatically be wrong, but by doing this, the movie preemptively shuts down that argument. We're introduced to the organization's founder, Catherine Engelbrecht, and Greg Phillips, who is an election security consultant who's apparently uh, worked on elections all over the world. The movie explains what cell phone geotracking is and how such data is collected and made available. It also explains that geotracking is reliable and a valuable source of information for law enforcement and military operations. For a short while, you're wondering where they're going with this, but that question gets answered a few moments later. What they did was purchase a massive block of data starting a couple weeks before the election. They then filtered through this data to find people who had visited at least 10 ballot boxes as well as left-wing activist organizations during the voting period. This was done for a couple of cities in five swing states that were critical to the election. They labeled these people as the mules because they were suspected of being used as couriers to deposit suspicious ballots. They were able to establish a pattern of life 
which is where you figure out a person's routine movements from the geotracking data. And by doing this, they could rule out people who were simply commuting along the same path that they always did. They then obtained, allegedly, more than 4 million minutes of footage from these ballot boxes. They were then able to correlate surveillance footage with geotracking data to get a look at what some of these mules were doing. And what they found was that these people were depositing multiple ballots into these boxes, and these drops often took place in the middle of the night in winter. Many of these mules were seen taking pictures of the ballot boxes after depositing their ballots. The movie theorizes that this was done as proof of work, which enables the mules to get paid. In these swing states, the team identified approximately 2,000 of these mules, hence the title of the movie. On this basis, D'Souza presents some simple calculations comparing the impact of these mules' activities to the election results in these states and concludes that the election was in fact tipped by the activities of these mules. Now, as a point of interest, they also found that many of these identified cell phones were also present at political riots, according to a database that tracks such things. He then lowers the criteria to five ballot box visits, and the calculations become even more damning. From here, D'Souza talks to a few other people about where one would obtain ballots to do this sort of thing, as well as some hypotheses on how such activities are funded. To be clear, the movie does not claim at any point that the physical ballots are counterfeits or fraudulent in any way, rather that these are real ballots obtained by either buying them from legitimate voters or getting them from people in elder care facilities or stealing them from mailboxes which are still on outdated voter rolls, meaning that the person in question no longer lives in the state but a ballot was still mailed to an old address of theirs, and a couple of other speculations. The idea is that these ballots are collected by left-wing activist organizations who then pay these mules to distribute the ballots at multiple boxes. There is also an interview conducted with an anonymous worker from one of these left-wing NPOs who claims that the team's suspicions are basically correct. They then go back to the roundtable discussion where the implications of this information is discussed. Again, it's a nice way to round out the movie, but uh, ultimately this is just opining and we don't really need to read too much into this. Okay, so there's a couple of things to unpack here. First off, the movie is well produced, the opening credits and the camera work and the audio throughout, all of that's done really well. It's also well structured, it leads you clearly from one point to the next. You don't ever feel compelled to rewind because you've lost the plot and you don't know what they're talking about, so that's a good thing. One criticism I would make of the production itself, there are a couple of scenes where we're shown D'Souza at his home making contact with people on uh, phone calls. It's obviously staged and I think the movie could have done without these scenes. They could have just used a simple voiceover instead to take you from one scene to the next. But this is a minor gripe and just a matter of my personal preference. Now let's get on to the merits of D'Souza's claim. Look, I gotta tell you the evidence that's presented in this documentary is actually pretty compelling. I hit pause a couple of times to try and think of an innocuous explanation for what was being presented. When you add up the number of coincidences needed to uh, dismiss what this team uncovered, it becomes quite ridiculous. Basically, you need to buy into the biggest coincidence ever. 
And it's important to keep in mind, there is an element of guesswork where D'Souza assumes that the mules deposited a certain number of ballots into each box. Um, obviously, if they deposited more, then the effect on the election would be greater. And if they deposited fewer, then the impact would be reduced. But he uses quite a conservative estimate and combines it with that high bar of 10 ballot box visits. So I think the potential for an incorrect conclusion is reasonably mitigated for. What the movie did not provide, and what I think would have been a slam dunk, is the same person visiting multiple boxes captured on surveillance video. I'm not sure if they do have any examples of that. According to D'Souza, many of these uh, boxes did not release footage to the team, claiming that they did not have any, even though in many cases this was a legal requirement. With that being said, if the tracking data did correlate with a video of a mule visiting a box, which it does, it does tell us that the tracking data has credibility and accuracy, even if the other boxes on the route did not happen to have video footage. Now, I have a couple more thoughts, but I figured it would be more efficient to uh, roll that into the critical response to this movie, so let's get into that. Right now, if you search for 2,000 mules on Google, you'll notice that the Wikipedia preview, so this is before you actually click on the link to Wikipedia, this is just the box that pops up on the side showing you the first bit of the Wikipedia article. It states that the movie falsely claims that these mules were a thing. Uh, you'll also notice that if you look up the movie on IMDb, the labels comedy and fantasy have been added to it. So clearly some people are upset about the movie, they've added in those labels to try and ridicule it. You'll also be inundated with Google's results of so-called fact-checkers claiming to debunk the movie. Now again, if you're a cynic like me, these reactions set off all kinds of alarms. When people lash out at something without being able to properly refute it, it tells you that they feel threatened by it. Now, I don't believe Bigfoot exists, but I'm not going around ridiculing the idea on every pro-Bigfoot blog out there. Because in most cases, I can see that the claims being made are very clearly not credible, and I trust that most reasonable people will view it the same way. And if I did feel compelled to respond, it would be to factually correct specific claims that I considered wrong. But when people make a very noisy and concerted effort to talk you away from something without being able to make a tangible, concrete case for their view, that's when things get dicey. To that end, I want to make this clear. There has been no debunking of this movie. The entire argument against this movie can be summed up as well, this could just be one massive coincidence. Alternatively, pay no attention to this because I don't like the person who created it. If you read many of these so-called debunkings, they open with a bold paragraph about how awful Dinesh D'Souza is and how he's supposedly been wrong about all these other things before. And when you have merit on your side, you know that this is bad form. You don't cheapen your own argument by playing the man instead of the ball because you don't want to give people the opportunity to drag the conversation into the weeds and accuse you of making it personal. And you certainly don't do this in the opening of your response. Instead, you let your actual argument stand on its own two legs and demonstrate that the other person's claim is false. And when you're confident in that argument, 
You don't want to give your opponent any room to squirm around. You want to keep it on topic and to the point of the subject because you know that's where you have them nailed. And so when these bloggers and journalists deliberately try and jump all over the place talking about how a person's uh, political associations are bad and they've done this or that in the past, that's reason enough to be suspicious of whatever you're reading. Now the most common claim being made is that cell phone tracking is not accurate and reliable enough to draw the conclusions that the movie draws. This is not true. While cell phone tracking can vary in accuracy, the technology is in fact good enough to determine a person's location. Uh, this is why law enforcement uses this data regularly and it is admissible as evidence in court. This is especially true in big cities and other places where there are lots of cell phone towers available because this makes the triangulation even more accurate. Interestingly, cell phone tracking was used as a reliable source of data when locating and identifying capital rioters on January 6th. And just about every big media outlet happily cited this data as such when covering that story. The very same outlets who are now claiming that cell phone tracking is not accurate enough to, uh, to, to uh, properly position someone, to properly locate someone. Besides, the movie clearly shows that they were able to pick up video footage of at least some of the mules that identified through the tracking data. The tracking data is what led them to look at the footage at specific times and dates. And these were often at remote hours when the person in the video was the only person present at the ballot box. And their presence tied in with what the geotracking was indicating. So making a vague statement that geotracking is not accurate is not a very convincing argument. Another popular argument is that these could just be ordinary people who happen to travel past these ballot boxes. Uh, there's also the argument that there's no proof that the people who were captured on video were the people whose data was analyzed. Then there's the argument that there's no proof that the people on video were in fact doing anything wrong. Uh, they could have just been dropping off ballots for their immediate family members. Now, all of these arguments can be lumped into the coincidence bucket, that this could all just be one big coincidence and you have no proof that it wasn't. Basically, because you don't have hundreds of thousands of videos of people looking directly into a camera and saying, I hereby commit election fraud, critics are playing dumb and hiding behind the possibility of these findings being the biggest coincidence in the history of humankind. Here's a reminder, we're talking about people who were located at multiple ballot boxes and left-wing NPOs. They began doing these trips only in the run-up to the election. Many did these trips at late hours of night and early hours of the morning. When captured on video, some can be seen taking pictures of the ballot box after depositing several ballots, for which there is no plausible purpose. There is no reasonable explanation as to why any normal person's behavior would match all of the above. The idea that it could be delivery drivers out at 2am and their route just so happens to go past these specific organizations and these ballot boxes and this route only just began in the run-up to the election and a significant number of these devices, these apparent delivery drivers, also just so happen to be at politically motivated riots in the past. It is very difficult to think of any profession, any job, that would satisfy all of these conditions. Or this idea that it could just be ordinary people depositing ballots for their family. 
Why would anyone need to deposit their family's ballots at 10 different boxes? Why would they choose to do so in the middle of the night, in winter? Did everyone in this hypothetical family chat about it and decide, hey, let's give our ballots to the person who would be most inconvenienced by it? But uh, this is the primary response from critics. They can't come up with a plausible explanation, so they instead expect you to go with the ridiculously small possibility that it could all just be coincidental. Now, 2000 Mules provides plenty of evidence of what, in my opinion, is undoubtedly suspicious behavior. Suspicious behavior which overwhelmingly appears to be the commission of election fraud. A movie obviously cannot be the legal arbiter of whether or not there was election fraud, but this movie does make a very compelling case for serious official investigations into this behavior, at the very least. What it also does is justify the skepticism that a huge number of people had regarding the 2020 US presidential election. Until now, the people who have doubted the integrity of that election have only been able to refer to isolated cases of suspicious behavior or simply that the numbers seemed unlikely. Now though, there is actual data which at this point at least appears to be irrefutable as evidenced by the laughable attempts to refute it. So should you watch this movie? Now I went into the movie fully prepared to write it off. I thought they were just going to bring out a bunch of anonymous witnesses who would talk about something suspicious that they saw or heard and that was going to be it. Going in, I had no idea that there was an analytical approach or that there was any kind of data being presented, and so I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of effort that went into this production. It did not go the way I expected. It actually got me thinking about the topic in ways that I hadn't previously. And uh, really to me, that's, that's a sign of a documentary that's at least worth watching. Now, your views will be what they may when you're done watching it, but at the very least, it is worth watching. Alright, and that's going to do it for today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, depending on which platform you're on. As a reminder, the Here and Now podcast can be found on all major podcast platforms. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you again next time.